Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. Hello, I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going to talk about one of my all-time favourite shows, Into the Woods. A production of the show is currently running at the Lyric Theatre in Belfast until this Sunday. It's the first major production of a Sondheim musical to be put on in the UK since his death last November. Now, if you're not familiar with the show, it's about all the best-known fairy tale characters, Cinderella, Jack from Jack and the Beanstalk, Rapunzel, and their stories are all woven together. But it's darker than you may initially expect, because it's a Sondheim show, of course. Into the Woods had its out-of-town tryout in San Diego back in December 1986, before it opened on Broadway nearly a year later in November 1987, where it ran at the Martin Beck Theatre, which is now known as the Al Hirschfeld Theatre. The show was nominated for 10 Tony Awards, and it won three. They were Best Score for Stephen Sondheim, Best Book for James Lapine, and Best Actress in a Musical for Joanna Gleason, who played The Baker's Wife. The show closed on the 3rd of September 1989 after 765 performances. What's unusual about this production is that the full thing was filmed and shown on TV in 1989, featuring most of the original Broadway cast. That didn't really happen back then. It was also released on VHS, remember those? And later DVD, and you can easily find it online still. Over here in the UK, the show opened in the West End in September 1990 at the Phoenix Theatre, but it closed in February 1991 because there were fears that the theatres would be targeted and bombed during the Gulf War. And you can hear more about that in the episode I did with Clive Carter, who was in Come From Away a couple of years ago, because he played the wolf in the original London production, and he told me all about why it had to close early. That production featured Imelda Staunton as the baker's wife and Julia McKenzie as the witch. It received seven Olivier nominations and won two, which were Best Actress in a Musical for Imelda. There's obviously something about that part, The Baker's Wife and Award Wins, and Richard Jones won Best Director. Since then, there have been a number of revivals on both sides of the Atlantic, including at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre in 2010, and that production starred Hannah Waddingham from Ted Lasso as The Witch. It was also filmed and is also available to watch online. Today's guest is currently playing the wolf and Cinderella's prince in Into the Woods in Belfast. You may have seen him as Earl in the original West End cast of Waitress, and he's also recently appeared in Casualty on BBC One. During lockdown, though, he turned to art and began drawing West End theatres. You may have seen his work online. It's beautiful, and the detail is incredible. Here's my conversation with Peter Hanna. Ta-da! Hi. Did it work? It did work, but you're in here twice now. That's weird. Oh, Jesus. Hi. We'll try to rid of that. Don't worry, uh, I can boot you out on the other one. How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. How are you? Good yeah, fine. All fine. Bit tired, but other than that, all good. How is life in Northern Ireland? Uh, it's currently quite cold and wet. I mean, being brought up in Glasgow, I'm used to this horrible weather. Uh, fair enough, um, then, yeah. It is delightful. I love it. It's very similar to Glasgow. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very um, similar architecture, similar field, lovely people. Mm. If, uh, 
Yeah, and I've got my days off currently, so it's a joy. Great. I've actually spent more time in Belfast than I have in Glasgow, so... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, uh, one of my really good friends lives in Belfast, so I've been over there a few times. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Anyway, let's talk about Into the Woods. Yeah. It's literally my tied favourite musical of all time. Do you have oh, similar... Wow. Yeah, yeah. Do you have similar feelings? Uh, well, yeah, I actually have never seen it live. Have you not? Um, okay. That was one of my no. questions. Okay. Yeah. So I've never seen it live, but obviously I'm a huge Sondheim fan. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, uh, it's an absolute kind of joy to be part of. Do you think it made it more fun to approach it as an actor having never seen it because you didn't have that preconceived, oh, this is yeah. how I've seen it before in your head? 100%. I think the joy of Sondheim is there's so many ways to play every single character and every single character has an arc. So um, even if I had seen it, maybe it would have um, slightly kind of tinged what I might have done. But to be honest, everyone is so unique as a person, you get to bring your own kind of characterization to it. So um, yes and no. I'm glad that I've kind of come in maybe, maybe naively, maybe ignorantly um, to the performance of it. Have you subsequently done like a, a little YouTube search or watched the film or anything? Or are you kind of... Uh, well, I, to be fair, I'd seen the film, but okay. I think... I mean, the uh, film is most... a different... Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. A different whole breed. Um, we won't talk about the film. <laughs> no, I think most kind of Sunday fans wouldn't talk about the film. I don't even know what Sunday would have said about it. So, yeah, I've seen the odd clip, mm-hmm. especially the original Broadway agony. But again, it's so different to what it is now and... 2022 yeah sure my version of it all uh and i'd seen uh michael xavier's uh wolf and that's all i've seen okay when he did it at regent's park but uh we were very very different wolves very different wolves Mm -hmm. so when you when you're taking a piece like into the woods which is so complex you know the score on Mm. its own is like mad and if you've got i mean i don't know how long your process was but how where did you start like what on day one and and you you get there and they're like okay what, mm. How did you begin? <laughs> Go. Uh, <laughs> we had a slightly disjointed start to it. Um, not least that we started at the beginning of January and the 3rd of January. Oh. So in the middle of the kind of Omicron wave, mm-hmm. everyone was coming to Belfast and just um, diving in. We also had quite a short rehearsal process. I would normally, maybe again, speaking naively, normally I would expect five to six weeks for a big musical. Um, but we were down to four probably closer to three and a half weeks to do it. Ouch. Um, so that was a, a fast learning curve for everyone, creatives yeah. and actors. And our director, Cameron Menzies, was stuck in Australia uh, at the time for the first three days because uh, he was over there for a couple of months. His family are still over there. And because of COVID, he got stuck there and was, I can't remember, visa issues or something. Mm-hmm. Like back across for the first um for the first day so he was zooming in which actually wasn't a problem at all because our nd peter mitchell um took the rehearsals and would just go through all the music and as you said the music is complex enough and um, you're not going to bash through the numbers and just go right there you go mm-hmm. um that being said the first thing we did we sang the whole score so i was like that was a real um baptism of fire i think for everyone especially after two years of pandemic not singing not doing anything so you're just like bam sing something um yeah but that was joyous once you kind of go over the initial nerves it was amazing to hear everyone bring those characters to life and all the work they've already done on it and their own kind of unique uh characterization that they'd already thought of 
so I saw one of the one of the production images is I think it's from Agony. It's you and Rapunzel's prince in kilts. Mm. So is there mm. like a Celtic edge to this production, given that you're you're doing it in Northern Ireland? Yeah, very much so. I think Niall McKeever, who's um, our amazing set designer, was very keen to kind of tap into. Uh, yeah, if not Irish history and uh, design, definitely a Celtic kind of feel. Mm. And when I first edition, Cameron was quite clear that he wanted the, the princes in kilts. Um, don't know why, but he wanted them in kilts. So when I rocked <laughs> up being Scottish, I was like, perfect. Tick. And he explained, every, I mean, there's so many characters in the show, but everything had some sort of connection to Ireland and uh, their history. So there's so much detail to it all, the design. And it works really well, I think. So what accents is everybody doing? Is everybody doing the same? Are you doing it in your native Scottish? Pretty much everyone's doing it in their own accent. Yeah, pretty much their own accent. Okay. So I'm doing the wolf as Scottish, um, but then the princes uh, are more classical RP. Yeah, sure. Um, I think just to give a kind of distinction between the two different characters and also this sense of, um, not that English means kind of, posh or elite but uh, a sense of um, upper class and different to everyone else kind of sure um, yeah give you a bit more status something, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm. as a kind of royal kind of character so myself and Rory who plays Rapunzel Prince we're both doing RP I imagine a Scottish wolf is actually quite fun like I imagine that really works it is an absolute yeah it's a joy I mean I'm a big fan of hearing any regional accent or any kind of authentic accent on stage I think it's really important and it really helps the story such a kind of guttural accent as it is but then in a purely technical level it's quite challenging because we're quite closed off our films are quite closed off so singing something that's quite high and quite um i said yeah guttural you kind of you can tire your voice <laughs> within the first 15 minutes of the show sure. um so then you've got to hit moments like agony in any moment and uh, your voice is a bit tired so it's been a bit of a learning curve in that respect but i think aesthetically and uh audibly it's hopefully worked really well does it affect any of the rhymes in that song in hello little mm, girl i don't think so um i think if anything it really brings I me mean, speaking as a scot i think it brings it alive there's such um onomatopoeic words and kind of yeah. really um yeah that words like crisp and bones and delectable and um perfection things that really roll and kind of you can spit out and really own and own, have that kind of juiciness to um, especially as a wolf you can really devour no I, I think it enhances its events mm. no I love that I can just imagine I mean sadly I can't get over and see it um, but I can imagine a, a, like a, a quintessential I think it's probably the best wolf anyone's ever seen to be honest probably I mean, not me saying that not me <laughs> <laughs> no it's an absolute joy to do and um, Kelly Matheson who plays uh, Cinderella is mm-hmm. also doing it in her native Scottish accent but she's got a lovely kind of Ayrshire twang to it so she's left uh, less uh Jimmy Cranky of me. Because mm, they're quite they're quite different accents, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more kind of um, lilt and musicalities for her voice, not least her singing voice. Mm. So yeah, and I think it works really well. It gives her a slight more edge of Cinderella rather than this kind of um, not the character's beige, but kind of repressed, held back character. It gives her, especially on the steps of the palace, it gives her a real kind of punchiness and front-footedness that. It's so important, especially in this day and age, kind of our modern retelling of it all. 
Yeah, yeah, oh, I love that. I just, no offense, but Cinderella is my favorite character in the show. Sorry. Oh, it's an amazing character. It's like the arc she goes through is just unbelievable. Yeah. If they ever gender bend it, I would love them to make Cinderella a gay man. I just think that would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, we were thinking about it though. I can't remember chatting about it, but there was, a, there was a moment of going, if we did kind of change the genders, I can't remember which character it was. Maybe it's the baker's wife, actually. Well, I feel like you could um, make the baker and the baker's wife a lesbian couple. That would be great as yeah. well. Yeah. No, this is it. Yeah. This is going to be 2023. S- someone get Marianne Elliott on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We got one for you. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Um, so, obviously, Sondheim, sadly, is no longer with us. That happened in mm. November. So this is probably mm. one of the first productions, certainly in the UK, of his that is being done. Did you address yeah. that during... Was there, like, a moment on the first day when it was kind of in the room being talked about or did you just kind of plough on? Um, yeah, there was definitely um, a knowingness of that. Um, I think anyone who's involved in musical theatre or theatre at large um, was affected by his death. I mean, we don't have kind of greats like that in the kind of modern era that come around very often. So um, when he passes, it's a real a moment that you all have to kind of mm. stop and take notice of. Um I don't think we kind of sat down and eulogised about it or um, spent ages on it, but there was definitely a marking of it, especially as the first, I think it is maybe the first major UK revival of, of a show of his. I may be speaking wrong, and I apologise. I think, no, I think you're probably um, right. I think so close to it in terms of January and February. Yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, it was a real moment. And then coupled with the fact of the pandemic, I mean, for me, this is my first job uh, on stage since 2020 so um there was a real poignancy to hear that and get to do a a show such as this on stage with a live band and 17 other professional actors and a creative crew um there was a real moment of i don't know just like yeah really taken aback by all it was quite amazing never mind doing it for kind of in honour of Sondheim. You you mentioned you're a Sondheim fan. I know you hadn't seen this show, but was this a show that you'd listened to a lot or are there other Sondheim yeah. shows that are more your favourites? No, I, I love this show and I love this part. And I mean, I'm not just saying that because I get to play it, but it's definitely a part I'd always dreamed of wanting to play and get to do, um, especially the kind of dual role aspect of it all. Mm. It's definitely right up my street, that kind of buffoonery of the prince and the kind of grandeur and vocal quality of them really suits me and the comedy and then the sinister edge of the wolf but then also the playfulness um so it's a role i've always wanted to play um so yeah it's definitely one of my favorite musicals i know the score really well uh albeit i haven't seen it live but yeah that and company i think are my two that and sunday part with george mm, sure which i've seen both of them and they are yeah two roles i'd love to love to play is there another role in Into the Woods that if you weren't playing the wolf and Cinderella's prince that you would want to have a go at? Uh, probably the baker's wife. Okay. Yeah, yeah I love the baker's wife. Uh, yeah, I think that probably... Or the witch. The witch is such a good such a good part. Yeah. I don't know if I'd do it justice, so I don't think I've got the, uh, the vocal stamina. It's, um, t- it's a tough all thing. Words out. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge thing and a real emotional journey to go on. Those are two amazing rooms. And I think any man would love to play the baker at some stage. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I love the role. So I really, I think it's my dream role of this, I would say. 
I kind of discovered this show because I saw it and I was really lucky that I was in New York in 2012 and I somehow got to see the um, the Central Park one. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, because they had an online lottery. You had to, the, the only way to get tickets was to either queue outside the park from like 5 a.m. or they had mm. an online lottery. And somehow I won that the first day I was there. So I managed to just not have to queue and got to see it, which was amazing. But right. I didn't know it at all before I went in. So I mm. kind of associate this show with that whole kind of weird time I was in where I'd just finished university and I was mm. like properly becoming an adult and like mourning my childhood. It was like the perfect mm-hmm. time to discover it. So I like relate to it in quite an emotional emotional way does it Mm. pack that same punch for you or is there a certain moment that you feel particularly deeply in this show yeah I think Sondheim is um that kind of composer where certain shows have more as you said more poignancy at different moments in your life Mm. and I think Interludes definitely has it's that kind of grey between becoming young, turning slightly older, and then getting older and realising your kind of mortality and the, the loss of people. I think there's certain other rooms at the age I am at <clears throat> 34 uh, that maybe have slight more meaning to me at the moment. Uh, things like Bobby and company means more to me at the moment. But I'm sure that's the joy of Sondheim. You find these parts and they just really ring true to you. And you go, a song means so much more to you because you're like, Oh my God, that that's unbelievable. But that being said, when you get to see amazing performers sing Children Will Listen and uh, Your Fault and things like this, real hard-hitting songs, you can go, oh, that sounds really fun, that's a different song, but then you hear it with the meaning behind it and a bit more life experience. It really does ring true. And then the, the fun youthfulness of Giants in the Sky and the playfulness and just the sheer excitement and zest for life you can kind of hark back to your your younger days of going, ah, oh, I remember feeling that optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before the year that was 2020, we all had that spring in our step. Oh, remember. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of the year that was 2020, you'd been in Waitress in the West End and I believe left a few months before all the theatres closed, but you must have still been in contact with a lot of your castmates from that show. It really did hit home and they didn't get a chance to finish the show. And my girlfriend is an actress as well, and she happened to be performing in the vaudeville next door at the exact same time when this was all kind of kicking off. Um, So I think seeing your peers, your friends, and your fellow castmates having to kind of, it just so abruptly end Mm. a run of any show is so hard. You don't get that closure, that moment, never mind the impact it has had on us in, in every level yeah um so regardless if i was in it or not it's it was still a very scary terrifying just a surreal moment to be honest and mm. still remains to be surreal and i know people who'd go back into the theater maybe six seven months later and their dressing room would be the exact same thing they just it just been left mm. similar to kind of i don't know some sort of evacuation or something you're just like it's just all there it's just sitting there all the same things you had sandwiches in the fridge and things you know I mean it's um it was very weird a real kind of moment in time yeah yeah so just for context how long before the march shut down did you leave the show so I left in uh, late September 2019 so I left when Blake Harrison left yeah and Nicole Nicole was leaving Nicole Dennis um, mm. was leaving as well she was going on to Dear Evan Hansen. Yes, of course. Um, see, I just felt it was the right time to kind of move on. Okay. And there was there was uh, changes afoot uh, within stuff. And I, 
it, a joy to be part of that show. I loved it, even though it's being such a horrible character and quite a lonely track. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I'd loved it. I'd made friends for life and I still continue. I'd literally just got off the phone to David Hunter two minutes before I started a Zoom call. Oh. So I've made friends for life, but I think it was the right time. And for me, I kind of, I'd gone through that home journey and um, with new people coming in, I was like, I think it was the right time to kind of pass the baton on and I look to do other things. And I have always been keen to kind of have a very varied career and do different things. Um, so I think the time was right to kind of move on. I don't, I'm not built for doing long, long runs. I just, okay. I get too emotionally invested and too tired physically and mentally. And I'm just like, I don't want to become, uh, do a less of a performance or anything. So I'm just like, now's the time to leave, albeit with a heavy heart, just like now's the right time. Mm-hmm. So I thought I was going to be moving on and doing lots of exciting things, but then the world had other, other um, yeah. wants. It's so, weird because that, yeah. that whole, that sort of end of 2019 doesn't feel that long ago, but equally feels so long ago now. Um, I know. It was so, I mean, I remember being, we'd gone for a walk. So my girlfriend's an actress and she had the Monday off. We'd gone for a big walk because it's her one day off. And uh, this beautiful day in March, I think it was like March, I don't know, 15th or something. It was like the week before we all went to full lockdown. Yeah. And uh, the, it was a, the show was kind of vaguely still on. We're going for this walk. We sat in a pub in the afternoon. She'd just been offered a job uh, by her agent. So I was like, this me we were like, oh my God, we've got a job offer. Amazing. And then we sat in the pub and the news flashed up. It was like, all pubs should shut from tomorrow, all restaurants shut. It's like a very weird moment being in a pub on an afternoon, your day off, like all the pubs are like, what the hell is that? Like, this mm. is terrifying, but we get such good news. But also like, this is, this seems bigger than we could ever imagine. Yeah, it feels so far away, but then also so close to home. So I'm not quite go over the troll. Wild, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Meant to know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I loved Waitress and I was really sad that it was leaving the, you know, COVID aside, I was really sad that it was it was not getting as long a run as it possibly deserved in mm. town. But I, the one thing that always confounded me, the guitar that you put your foot through, how, mm. how was that? I mean, it can't have been like one guitar per show. Like, how did they make it not fall apart? Before? Well, I, I think originally, according to Sarah Brillis, they did have a new guitar. Really? For the first kind of run, wherever it was, just before we went to Broadway, it was a new guitar every single night. And they're like, okay, this is just, this is stupid. Carbon footprint. Um, I know exactly. <laughs> what would Greta say? So um, I wasn't involved in this. I completely think that's the wrong thing to do. But mm-hmm. um, then it came into West End, everything was a much kind of, there was, everything had its place and everything, you were told exactly what to do. So they had a, a kind of, this kind of iron casing of a guitar that was super heavy. Mm. And then they basically just changed um, the frontage of it. So they put oh, the face on. That was a more kind of plywoody, plywood thing that you can put your foot through. But too silly. For, I mean, I once, you have to really stamp on a certain bit to kind of break the plywood. And one time I just put my foot on it and hit the kind of iron, cast iron out Ow. of the wall. And I just got this horrible shudder right up my shin. I was like, Oh my god! <laughs> I just like had to hobble off stage, and then also another silly one on press night. Obviously, we have two different guitars because I have to play the guitar and song uh, in the scene prior to that. Yeah, and then the other guitar is kind of replaced for the next scene. And spoiler alert! And um, during press night, I was like, "That guitar looks different." 
I think they've put the wrong guitar on for the previous scene for the song. I have to pick the guitar up, and it's heavy, like it's proper cast iron, and also it's got like really flimsy string, but it's not playable. Um, and I was like, they put the wrong guitar on, and they're like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my <laughs> Thankfully, god! Just before the thing, before the the sofa came on, they were able to change it. I was like, imagine my West End debut press night and I've got this comedy guitar that's super heavy and just like kind of ludicrous strings on oh. it. Um, thankfully, I was change. So it was all fine in the end. But that was a I was going to say, I, before you revealed the end of that story, I was in that night and I was just trying to think back. I was like, do I remember that? Do I remember an acapella, You Will Still Be Mine? No, I don't know if yeah. I do. <laughs> There's been some moments of it. There was a moment when the guitar string broke as well. So I just... Um, I just had to go acapella with it all. Oh, God. Um, not that I'm an amazing guitarist. It probably would have sounded just the exact same, but, um, you know, wow. the joys of live theatre. Absolutely, absolutely. I suppose when you when you did um, accidentally misstep and hit the iron, at least you could sort of channel that into your Earl rage. Oh, I was very angry. <laughs> I was very angry at that stage, yeah. No, God, that was miserable, yeah. Horrible. Oh, wow. Um, so during COVID, you mm. are quite well known for having pivoted and started drawing and yeah. doing all these amazing artworks of different theatre frontages um, and selling them. And people seem to really, really love them. Um, and I mm. I, they are, I, have some in my Etsy basket, but confession, I haven't actually pressed order yet. I'm very sorry, but oh, I will do it. <laughs> um, um, but I, I think I read you, I read on Twitter or somewhere that this, you, you hadn't really been a, an artist before this this was something you literally started from scratch. Is that right? Mm, mm. I've always kind of drawn. I love art. I mm. When I was younger, there was a moment I was maybe going to go to art school, um, but I'd never drawn buildings. I'd always kind of drawn a lot of portraiture. I've never sold any art. I never really wanted to because I was mm. terrified of putting it out there. I didn't really want the kind of further rejection, especially when you've you've chosen a career such as acting. You've you're really putting your kind of heart and soul on the line, and I don't know if I could have the mental strength to. Um, to deal with any more rejection. Yeah. Um, never mind kind of making a kind of a monetary thing about the thing you really enjoy. Mm. But yeah, like so many others, I was really staring down the barrel of uh, destitute-ness um, middle of the pandemic. And I was like, I had no kind of support at that stage. It was before any grants and uh, I had no money. And I was living at Overdraft even prior to the pandemic. Uh, and... Yeah, things were getting really tough and all my jobs had gone, all the other jobs I'd done outside acting. So, and we were stuck inside, we couldn't do anything. So I just thought about trying to do something creative. Missed it. I follow quite a lot of artists on Instagram. And I just decided to start sketching uh, the Adelphi where Waitress is on. I did a small little sketch of it and it was absolutely rubbish. <laughs> and uh, then I sent it to my mum, who's kind of really loves art and she's a kind of yeah she's a typical mum that's like oh why don't you try this why don't you do this and a maths teacher so she's like well you should do it right with perspective so I kind of went online and kind of learned that and she zoomed in kind of taught me a few things about how to kind of draw right and thankfully I'm very OCD when it comes to detail yeah so I uh, I did that and then I was like oh I'm just gonna put it up online and see what people think of it and then my brother was like listen why don't you sell it because originally I was going to draw pubs around London and okay. like a way of kind of monetizing things think people were connected to and he was like well why don't you do theatres you've got people who follow you not many but some who might be interested in that so he was like don't put one up do another few and then create a series so he was like don't do it yet so I did four other sided Hamilton 
the arts with sex and uh, Shaftesbury Theatre with and Juliet mm-hmm. and uh, held out as long as I possibly could and then did a big launch in September 2020 and the rest is history. I mean, it's just... Uh, it's really blown amazing. up. It's changed my life in, in so many ways. I, uh, I can't quite put it into words. I know it's such a kind of uh, easy phrase to say these days, but it's really... I'm blown away, honestly, blown away continually by the love and support and generosity of so many people. I just, it has given me a new chance of um, having a career and a life. And I don't say that lightly. It's just, uh, it's amazing. And to be able to be in control of your destiny whilst also doing something you really love and hopefully bring joy to people's lives in terms of the theatre means so much to me as it does to so many others. So if they can have a memento, I would want to. I've got it all in my wongs. I've got all the originals framed up in my wongs. So I would do it even if the money wasn't involved, but the money was obviously a beautiful byproduct that allows me to kind of not have to do kids' parties or work in pubs or stuff currently, and that might change, but at the moment, it's it's been amazing. So long may it continue. Absolutely. They are they are really, really beautiful. Um, and I've, I've picked out the, one, the ones that I want. So I read that your favourite is the Palace Theatre. Is that correct? Love the palace. I think that was the kind of first moment it kind of started to click for me what my style was and what mm. I wanted. I really loved that one. Yeah. Both that and the Victoria Palace, both are kind of something about them. There's just a real the palace in particular was an epic, yeah, epic drawing. And I mean most of these things take about 40 hours, which I, mean, I really am quite um anal with precision and uh, detail. So um I really go through the ringer with it all. My poor girlfriend has to deal with it. She's like, what about this? What about this? It's like 12 hours a day. She's like, what about this? Have you noticed this difference? And you're like, I don't notice any difference. I'm like, okay, okay. Go back to it, go back to it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, to be able to pull that off, I never never thought I'd be able to draw anything of that kind of stature and grandeur. Um, so I'm really proud of it to have that out there. And obviously it's an amazing show and piece. Of course. Um, do you have a favourite theatre in general in terms of like just maybe it's one you performed in or where you saw your first show or anything like that? Um, favourite theatre? I mean, probably, I, I love plays. I love musicals. Uh, so I think a balance of them both would probably be the National uh, Summer at Littleton. I just kind of love the style of work they do in there. Um, I also see a lot of things at Royal Court. And in town, musical theatre-wise, I mean, Hamilton, I saw on my 30th birthday, and it's just, it's, um, it's perfect in so many ways. Um, and was the first proper show I was like, oh, my, I felt like a child again, like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I knew every song and just like, just oh, sensory overload. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, a, a balance of those different theatres. And then regional theatres and Scottish theatres, Irish theatres, is where I learned my craft. I worked loads up in Scotland, so I've got a real strong association to them, and I think they create uh, amazing theatre. And I just wish they had a, a larger audience and a kind of an opportunity to get it uh, a bit more commercial, so they can make some more money to kind of get more people into the theatre. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you ever draw the inside of a theatre, a, a proscenium, or or just a general auditorium? Maybe, uh, maybe. Yeah, potentially. I'm, I'm potentially in conversations with someone at the moment to do something of a set, but yeah, maybe. I, maybe. I imagine it's I'm probably sure. trickier than a frontage because of, I don't I mean, I don't know, but... 
a little bit maybe with perspective and things like that I think yeah. there's so much I want to do and I'm very very uh, lucky that I get so many requests daily of going can you do this can you do that and I'd love to do them all but as I say they, they take a real kind of four week stint to do one of them so it's not a kind of sketch thing and I pride myself on it I pride myself on when they receive it it should be better than the image they see online um, and that's credit to the amazing studio I use for all the printing and packaging and things um, so there's so much I'd love to do and kind of add to the series and um, yeah so that is one thing I would never say never um, but I'm constantly trying to evolve the business and try and make it possible but when you're a one-man band you're trying to draw it all and then also run the business side of it all it's uh, it's very very time-consuming as I'm sure you know, as a freelancer yourself. Very, very much so. God, yeah. Mm. Um, as someone uh, like you who didn't grow up in London and didn't necessarily have access to all these amazing buildings from a young age, do you remember the first mm. time you came to London and saw a show here? Because, I, I mean, mm. my first show was at, at the Dominion. I remember seeing Les I only asked because we were talking about the palace, and I remember um, my parents brought me to see Les Mis when I was nine. And there used to be a pizza hut across the road and we had dinner there before we had lunch there before the matinee. And I remember I literally could not take my eyes off the front of the Palace Theatre with that massive mm. picture of Cosette on the front. And just thinking that is just the most amazing. I mean, obviously, I was nine, so I was tiny. It looked even bigger. Did you yeah. have a, did you have a similar experience with anything? I think so. Um, Scotland's an amazing country in so many ways, but obviously there isn't always the kind of professional landscape that there is now especially when I was growing up, there wasn't, there was theatre, but more kind of rep theatre, such as the Sits and the Lyceum, but it wasn't really accessible for young kids, or it wasn't really the kind of shows you could take a young child to. But they had an amazing amateur dramatics society across the whole of Glasgow and Edinburgh, and I was very involved in that. So I got to perform in some amazing theatres from a very early age, such as like the King's Theatre in Glasgow, which is huge, like I think 1,200, 1,300 and it's so well supported. You'd do seven shows across the week and it'd be sold out. So you're getting to play these amazing roles like Curly in Oklahoma or Tony in the West Side Story and you're, you're performing to 12, 1,300 people. And it's like, it, it's baffling with a full orchestra. So I think that was a real eye-opener. And we didn't get to come down to London often, but we did actually get taken down on a school trip. And I remember going to the Dominion to see uh, Wheel Rock Mm-hmm. And I just remember going, just seeing London for the first time. I mean, I still get those. I've lived in London for 12 years. And I still have those London moments of like, oh, my God, I love London. Oh, my God, that's so cool. Yeah. I remember seeing the statue of Freddie Mercury and I was like, this is, this is fucking cool. Yeah. And uh, we also saw Women in Black. And I remember being absolutely terrified. I still think I'd be terrified. I think I'd be terrified if I was in Women in Black, to be honest. Yeah. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> really terrified. I fell out of my seat when I went to see that. It's terrible. I just like, no, not for me. No way. Um, so credits to those actors. And uh, yeah, so then that was, I was fairly young when we did that. And then obviously I kind of grew into kind of more different theatre and I came down to see Billy Elliot again. Just blew me away. Mm. Like it was the first time I'd actually spent a lot of money on a ticket. It was something like £60 or something. Uh, Back when that was top price. Back when I was exactly, and even then I was like sitting on the side. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly how things have changed. And um, it just, it, it, the whole grandeur of it all and just this, the professionalism of it all mm. um, was a, men, a mental. You just saw guys who were like 20 stone doing splits. You saw little eight-year-old kids tap dancing and singing and doing the most amazing. I was like, 
that's the level you've got to go at. So it pushes you on. I've always kind of been brought up to kind of strive to be the best you can and keep on pushing, get better and better and better. And I think when you see the talent on show and continue to, it really does make you a better person and a better performer. You're like, well, if they can do it, I've got to get better. I've got to constantly hone, get better and better and better. As a, a Scottish theatre aficionado, is there anything mm. that you know of at the moment or is there any particular theatre or theatre company that you would like to give a shout out just so that if anyone listening to this happens to live in that area or in, with access mm. to that area, might be something yeah. they could go and visit? Um, well, if you're in Edinburgh, you should definitely check out the Lyceum Theatre, which is a beautiful, beautiful theatre. It's also part of my um, art stuff. I've drawn the theatre there and it's a lovely, I don't know what year that is, but it's beautiful. When you go and say beautiful chandelier, it's like unbelievable. Uh, and they do a lot of amazing plays and have amazing kind of youth theatre and outreach. And all famous Scottish actors have kind of performed there. And it's run by a guy called David Gregg, who is famous for writing a book for uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, alongside numerous oh, right, okay. plays. And uh, Touching the Void, he did Touching the Void that came mm. to the West End as well. So they're an amazing theatre, but they're more kind of uh, plays based. And then there's also the National Theatre Scotland, which don't necessarily have a building, but they are famous for having theatre without walls. So they travel the length and breadth of the country and go across the world. And I've worked with them numerous times. And they are a very kind of exciting kind of, as, as all companies are, post-COVID shift and change. And uh, they've got some really exciting stuff coming out, not least a new musical based on a Scottish film called Orphans, which Peter Mullen wrote and started. And hopefully... Now we're slowly getting back to a kind of new normal. You're starting to see more shows appearing and um, tours coming to, to um, the cities as well. If I hadn't had that, I wouldn't be the performer I am and had that opportunity. And I know uh, we never had the money for them to go to see certain shows. So it's, uh, it's a big ask to get people to come along. Uh, but hopefully it might just change your, your outlook in life or give you a kind of a new thought for a profession or whatnot, because it's not just the performing on stage that you're viewing, it's the design, it's the, the work backstage that everyone does. Like so many opportunities at theatre gives you, not least to kind of forget all the rubbish that's going on in life, because the escapism of it all. Yeah, which, I mean, I felt like we needed the escapism before COVID. So now I'm like, get me, me in I'll a take seat. Me in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to go into a time capsule. Lock the doors. Um, <laughs> Well, let's just let's finish by talking about Into the Woods because obviously mm. that's why we're here. I think although we have a short rehearsing process, we have put on a real spectacle of a show. And I think when you come see it, you will again you'll see professionals at the top of their game on stage, off stage, and um, you'll be blown away. It's by no means a kind of secondary performance because it's not in the West End. You've got some unbelievable performers from the length and breadth of the UK and the design is spectacular. And you're getting to see Sondheim for the first time, and you can, if you want to laugh, you'll get to laugh, if you want to cry, you get to cry. If you want to just escape as in fairy tale, you'll get to experience that as well. So there's a, it's a real mixed bag of lots of exciting things. Um, and most importantly, the interval is not the end of the show, like some people do no, always think. <laughs> no, exactly. Happy ever after, to be continued. Yes, yes, it's not always... Um, as uh, clear cut as some people think. Yeah, I feel like Into the Woods is probably one of the only musicals that teaches you every single life lesson you could possibly need. Yeah, I mean, I'm still doing it every day. I'm like, oh, that is 
that's quite good, actually. Well, maybe I should take that on board. You hear so many different lines or even the way people perform it, you're like, oh, that's what that means, mm. of course. Um, yeah, so there's so much. I think that's why people classify it as like an actor's musical because you can really delve in deep and find something new every night and every performance and every character and person will bring something different to it. Totally. And it's definitely, I feel like it's one of the, the musicals that justifies the most uh, a return visit because you just can't mm. take it all in in one viewing. Yeah. And I will say, I'm not just saying that to kind of punt some tickets, but um, <laughs> the amount of people that have come twice and gone, oh my God, that was amazing. I've got to see that character's performance more now rather than just having to get it wash over you. You get yeah. to really delve in deep and there's so much to see and do and hear uh, it really is joyful. It's not a kind of musical by numbers by any stretch, not least to get to hear 17 amazing professional musicians strike up the band every night. Yeah, That's you don't name. often get 17 these days, not even in town. You, cer- you certainly do not. You certainly do so. not. So... That's reason enough. Um, Now, I'm a big aficionado of seeing things more than once because you just can't like, I like to have seen like pointed out and kind of figured out what everyone's doing at any given moment. You have to. Yeah, completely. And also it is live theatre. So things can go wrong and Mm. people do find moments on stage that are really exciting. And I think you as a performer can feel that when the audience go, oh, wow, I saw that there. It's really exciting. So, yeah, I'm a firm believer, especially seeing something like Sontag more than once. Definitely. Uh, well, thank you so much. It's been so great to chat to you. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to finally get to come on. Oh, you're welcome anytime. Anytime. Thank you, buddy. It's been an absolute joy. You can see Peter in Into the Woods at the Lyric Theatre in Belfast until this Sunday, the 27th of February, so you haven't got long. You can follow him online at Peter Hanna Art on Instagram and at Peter Hanna 88 on Twitter. And his artwork is available to buy on Etsy. Well, that's it for this week. Make sure you're subscribed to get future episodes of Backstage With straight to your phone. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.